Newsbreak podcast. I think it's been a bright weekend for you, hasn't it? With Eskom announcing that there would be no load shedding in many parts uh, of the weekend, and welcome news for many. After I think an extreme case of stage four load shedding that has gotten many South Africans, I think, very upset in the dark. Good afternoon. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk today. I'm Tadeh Shari Prashad, and we are dissecting and trying to understand a little bit more about Eskom's stage four load shedding that became a reality. I think for many, uh, for about I think roughly about two weeks now. Um, and you know, in conjunction, there's just so much of discussion about the state of Eskom, about um, where it finds itself with regard to debt. Over 400 billion rand worth of debt. How did it accumulate it? How did it come to allow such a strong, um, you know, such a strong deficit there? Um, and how do you then handle it now? Does government have enough funds to pull Eskom out of the dark? Um, or is there other alternate ways to generate revenue in the power utility? Much to dissect and talk about. That's the global discussion. That's what's happening at the top level there. You know, the root cause of why you have to buy candles and go without electricity for such a great deal of time. But also at the same time, it's an inconvenience to your life. It's a restructuring of your world. Um, And I think, you know, you'll remember and be aware that Newsbreak generally wants to always provide you with tangible on-the-ground tips and advice on how best to deal with big problems, how best to mitigate, uh, you know, crises, so to speak. So today we're also going to spend a great deal of time talking about tips, talking about um, ways to help you, um, I think, handle load shedding a little bit better and, um, you know, just try and create a bit more enlightened, if you'll excuse the pun, consumer who knows how to offset the challenges of load shedding. Well, I think the starting point for this talk show, as it, you know, it's it's a no-brainer really, and we wanted to hear from ESCOM and we did invite them onto the show, no word. From Eskom at the moment, from two failed attempts to try and get you, um, I think even just a basic update on where the country finds itself currently with with, with load shedding. So um, that didn't pan out, and I leave that to your perception and your uh, understanding of the situation. So since Eskom was not able to talk to us, we decided to speak to some um, you know role player stakeholders within the within community sectors and look at um, you know various ways of um, handling and understanding load shedding. One of the major issues is safety and security during load shedding. Um, many homes and, and communities are vulnerable now because you know electricity systems are not working. Therefore, surveillance systems are not working. Therefore, alarm systems are not working, you know, unless you have it a bit more high tech and generator based or even rechargeable based. And also the entire aspect of darkness, uh, making your home and your precincts more susceptible to uh, criminals who, you know, thrive on, on, on darkness. So we did speak to Imtia Sayed from the Itakweni Central's uh, CPF, and he's a chairperson there. And he explained to us how load shedding should be approached from a um, safety and security perspective. Load shedding does affect the level of crime simply because of it being an opportunistic moment for criminals to get into certain areas knowing full well uh, that there's no you know, security measures or panics or alarms or those kinds of things that will be functioning. And even if they do, um, the response companies and the armed response companies are then saying, 
it's due to low batteries and load shedding and all of those things that are happening at the moment. So what sort of preventative measures can people take to better their security during load shedding? So when we're looking at load shedding, we firstly need to figure out exactly what time is your load shedding in your area and then come in with preventative strategies around exactly who's at home, who's not at home. Is your alarm system functional? Do you have battery backups? All of those little things. If it's late at night, it's important. I mean, our first line of defense is our cell phones and our telephones. Those items need to be charged away before load shedding. If we have cordless phones at home, we need to try and get one uh, that is uncorded plugged into a telecom line if we can afford to do that or have that already. So in this time of load shedding that we have just been through, has the Etekweni CPF attended to any crimes related to load shedding? We have been uh, quite a few complaints during load shedding hours of vagrants in the yards, and um, but generally on foot. I think criminals that are, you know, the armed robbers and uh, house robbery suspects, I think they're not really uh, looking at uh, load shedding hours to be, especially at night, to be out at your home. However, we shouldn't rule out the fact that they are obviously aware that certain areas are covered by load shedding and we should all have our guards up at all times. So being as active as the CPF is, what advice can you provide to people to make load shedding safety more practical? I think uh, the effects of load shedding, uh, we, we need to figure out from our homes as to exactly what aspects of it are security related. So we might have not have electricity at home and you know, not having electricity or light in your bedroom doesn't necessarily affect your security. So anything that's being controlled by your security systems, your electric fencing, your alarm systems, your gate motors, your panic buttons, your remotes, those layers that give you uh, that level of security and, and pacifies you to think that we're safe and secure should always be backed up by battery backups or other solutions over and above them. Uh, But more than that, there's really nothing we can do. I mean, ultimately, if you've got uh, a lack of lighting in your street due to load shedding and criminals are coming um, into the area, then we need to start looking at different ways of eradicating those issues. And what would be some of those ways? Uh, During load shedding hours, we've started doing street patrols. So we've asked everyone to use our secure Zello channel. And if you have load shedding in your area and you're seeing that there's some nefarious activity carrying on, you need to call it in and we'll get some patrollers out to you if you're in the Tikwini Central area. But other than that, we need to start doing different things during load shedding, like getting everyone out onto the street, even if it means us coming out and playing football. We don't really have to be so sensitized about crime all the time. We can come out during load shedding hours with candles, play on the street or ride our bicycles or do stuff like that. And that is a major, major deterrent of safety and security. And in general, I mean, everyone's very concentrating on on security as we need to be out armed with uh, bulletproof vests and all of these things. No, it's not necessary. A deterrent would be you playing with your kids out on the street with another three other adults playing with their kids. And that's a deterrent in itself because criminals are really scared. They're scared of getting caught. If they find an opportunity where everything's nice and quiet and, 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 and they can operate within a matter of five minutes, they will do so. But if there's eyes on them, and it can be a child's eye, it can be an adult's eye, it doesn't matter. So you don't really need to have security guards and all of those things. We just all need to be out, be out on the street, be vigilant. And we need to literally take back our street. That's what we need to be doing. So it's all about being more visible. Absolutely, absolutely. Get the guys out. I mean, if you've got neighborhood watch patrollers in your area during load shedding hours, get them to stand off at strategic entry exit points into your area. 
with their flashing lights on. So criminals are aware that we're vigilant and we're mobilized and we know what's happening. So there you go. Some uh, advice the MTR said, Itagweni Central CPF chairperson, quite multi-pronged, you know, make sure that your tech, your electrical devices that you need for safety and security are, um, you know, well handled, well charged and, and secure and set up. And then also claim it, still take um, claim of, of your space, even though there's no electricity and no power and, you know, not so, not so much of visibility power of numbers, you know, almost acting as if load shedding is just some natural phenomenon. You don't necessarily have to be worked up about it. That's an interesting point. I've been hearing that a lot from a lot of people uh, while researching the topic. It's just load shedding, South Africa, calm down, you know, try and you've got a schedule, try and stick to it, alternate your life around it. And then the other argument is, well, I pay my taxes, I pay my municipal bill, um, I pay so many other um, sort of revenues that flow into um, the power utility. Why do I need to be inconvenient? So those are the two schools of thoughts. We'll open up the phone lines in a short while to hear from you and hear your thoughts on that. But we also wanted to talk about... um, and I think one of the other areas um, offset of, of, of uh, load shedding has been um, traffic lights. And, you know, of course, when an area is shed, um, traffic becomes backlogged. I will say it's a little bit challenging to drive around in the city um, when there is load shedding because, you know, it's a, it, sometimes it's a five minute drive that can actually take you now 15 minutes because um, there seems to be, you know, not such a good flow of traffic. So that's a major issue that's been, um, you know, as a result of load shedding. So we spoke to Itekwini Metro um, and we found out what they were doing to offset this. We spoke to Senior Superintendent Parbu Suprasad, Itekwini Metro Police Spokesperson. He spoke to Rachel Vadi. We have a consolidated plan for load shedding in respect of the schedules that we have received from our electricity department. The plans are to manage and control certain intersections, that is, strategic intersections within the city. We will be monitoring congestion as well during the load shedding phase and even off the load shedding phase during the peak, even when robots are not working or traffic lights are not working, we will take control of certain intersections. There are a lot of intersections within the Durban Metropolitan Service Area, and community must not expect Metro Police to be at every intersection because we do not have the manpower to conduct points at every intersection. However, we are dealing with other issues within the Metropolitan Police Service Area, which are like protests, our normal enforcement, all that has to be done. So, yes, you will see the Devon Metropolitan Police Service at certain intersections. That is the most strategic intersection within the city. Now, Superintendent, one of the things that I've noticed this week during load shedding, and it was for the first time, was pockets of officers at certain intersections. Is this a new part of the program? That is correct, Rachel. It is part of the program, and... I must allude to the fact that these are the new recruits that we had initiated recently uh, in the Metropolitan Police Service. And yes, they are being trained to take control and manage intersections. There will be uh, some intersections closely supervised by a senior member from the Devon Metropolitan Police Service. 
Is there any reason or circumstances around which Metro Police will not be on duty at an intersection during load shedding? And what should people do? Rachel, no. Especially, I would say, during if it's raining or the road surface is wet, and when the surface is wet in such instance that if a vehicle has to actually apply or slow down quickly or apply the brake, they won't be able to stop their skin. We do not put the pointsman on the intersection. We encourage a vehicle with blue lights flashing at the intersection to try and slow the traffic down so that they can actually slow down at the intersection. But what I must allude to, which is very important, even if the motorists or the drivers do not see a police or a pointsman or a police vehicle at the intersection, they must treat the four-way intersection as a stop street, which is in the Road Traffic Act. And in when you go for your learners or driver's license, it says very clearly, if the traffic lights are out, are not working, you treat the intersection as a four-way stop. But I've noticed that they are not stopping in the intersection. They're just slowing down. When the robot is out or the traffic light is out, they're not stopping. They're just driving through that intersection. Senior Superintendent Parabu Supersad, the um, from Metro Police, they're talking to Newsbreak's Rachel Vadi. So there you go. His advice there on um, how Metro Police is handling traffic flows, you know, most especially. So those were, I think, two areas of major focus that we honed in on. But here's another one, and this is just actually understanding um, when you're going to be shared, what's going on. Uh, and there's so many technological ways and there's so many apps that you could use to actually tell you, okay, listen, you're going to be shared at this time and you should take some precaution. Also, what do you actually do with your technological devices? I mean, I think it was Imtiaz who did touch on it there a bit, but... Um, we do work off our technological systems a lot more than we'd love to admit. So how then do you ensure that your technological devices are working optimum so that even if it is load shedding, you're not really stopping? So we spoke to Arthur Goldstuck, the CEO of Worldwide Works, which is uh, South Africa's um, technological market research organization. And this is what he had to say to Rachel Wadi. From an electronics uh, point of view, it means that your a TV, your fixed-line internet uh, connection, and computers suddenly stop working if you don't have an uninterruptible power supply. In terms of smartphones and laptops, when your battery dies, you suddenly don't have any connectivity uh, whatsoever. So people who don't have a long-life laptop computer, for example, have to plan very carefully how they're going to carry on working. And with regard to smartphones, people now have to be aware of the fact that they need to keep their smartphones charged before a load shedding kicks in. So that's broadly speaking how it affects people. Typically uh, what happens, most of us tend to rely on uh, power for our internet access unless you're using it only on your phone and it's not via Wi-Fi and it's only from uh, data supplied by the mobile operators then, generally speaking, you're okay. Even there, the cell phone towers that provide the data signal are also reliant on power, and they have generators that kick in, but then there's lower capacity on those towers. So, generally speaking, internet speeds slow down, even for those who are using it only on their phones. Do you have any suggestions as to how we can better prepare ourselves for load shedding, maybe through an app? 
Well, firstly, um, SCOM itself uh, provides a schedule of load shedding. You've got to find out what the code is for the area that you live in, because every area has got a different code, basically a number and a letter. And then the charts that they issue uh, essentially provide you with that. But there's also an app. Just in the last few days, there's an app that's come, that's come out called uh, Push, P-U-S-H. And um, that's an app that you can download for Android or uh, Apple iPhones. You basically put into it what your suburb is, and it will tell you when load shedding is going to happen next, and it will also give you a schedule for the next few days of when load shedding will happen in your area. And that was Arthur Goldstuck, the CEO of Worldwide Works. They're talking about how to handle uh, load shedding from a technological aspect. Well, there you go. I think some areas covered. But we still want to get some analysis on the bigger problem and what went wrong at ESCOM, how to rectify it. And I think the most major part of this conversation today is how to handle it. And I think specifically within that Itaquini, um perspective, because we are based here. So we do have Itaquini Electricity joining us in studio. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of your concerns, confusions, and how best to go about handling uh, load shedding, you know, should it come back. I think from Monday, we don't really have any clarity yet as to what's going to happen on Monday. Eskom did last tell us that uh, lo- no load shedding for the weekend and we don't know where we stand on Monday and I've been trying to get hold of Eskom to find out. So we will keep you posted on all of that. But if you would like to call us now, it's 089-310-8789. God. Guys. Darkness hangs over the country as the situation at ESCOM remains a nightmare. Over 400 billion rand in debt and poor mismanagement means load shedding is your current status. So what do you do to handle the power crisis? Give your views a voice on Newsbreak Talk this Sunday at 1 o'clock when we try and keep you out of the dark about load shedding. Newsbreak talk with Meeta Resh, Hari Prashad, and we are talking about load shedding um, this afternoon. We're going to go to the phone lines just now before we go to our energy analyst um, to find out a bit more about kind of what went wrong at ESCOM, how to rectify it. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. Okay, let's go to our first caller now. We've got uh, Salim on the line. Hello, Salim. Hi, good afternoon, Teresh. You know, very a good and important topic, you know. Anything I can say in you know, a load shedding is an inconvenience. You know, it sometimes can be very frustrating. And, you know, at times, you know, it, it just upsets your day and upsets your life. And, uh, you know, the way I overcome it, I, I use my gas stove. I've got my rechargeable lighting at home. I have, uh, you know, my solar beams and solar geyser. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, all that is good for a short period of time. It affects businesses, it affects people's lives. But certainly the country, you know, our country is just, like, going downhill. And, you know, if something's not done about this, you know, we, we're aiming for a crash. You know, wind power is actually better, you know, better situated to supply power than ESCOM. And it's really bad. It's, you know, ESCOM is useless, hopeless, you know, it's... They're good for nothing. We really don't need ESCOM. 
I don't know why we even have ESCOM. We just should abolish ESCOM and get another system. It's really a, mm. a hopeless thing. So much of frustration coming through there from Salim. Salim, thanks for your call. Um, I can really, really hear the frustration in your voice there. Sanesh from Pineton. Hello, Sanesh. Hi, Therese. Therese, um, 400 some odd billion in debt. And what we are not uh, adding on to that is other state-owned companies, such as uh, the airline companies. And, you know, if you had to estimate, it's probably 700 billion rand in debt in total. That is... 70% of the tax uh, revenue generated in South Africa on a fiscal year. Now, having just two state-owned companies in 70, that creates 70% of South Africa's debt is a huge question in terms of this uh, country going forward. Having Provin Gordon deployed into certain areas, I think it's the worst formula ever, the worst effect ever to South African citizens because... He purely does things for the benefit of the ANC and himself. And wherever he is deployed, there is always some type of strategy or effect that comes in that hurts the taxpayers or the citizens of South Africa the most. Dissecting um, ESCOM into, into its three sectors, it has to be the worst formula ever. And it has to be a Premier Gordon thought, obviously, because this triples corruption. It means having... Uh, a, a triple effect on cost structures, having three CEOs, having corruption in the organizations again, having three CEOs go on golden parachutes of 35 or 40 million rand at a time. So in effect, uh, the current scenario in terms of what we do, you know, how we handle the current situation is a short-term uh, um, solution, but the long-term solution is the bigger picture which we all need to look at. And what I find very hard to, uh, uh, to come to terms with is that we have telecom. Um, and if you look at telecom's operations, if you have to go to the uh, buildings in, in Centurion, that building is as large as probably two or three shopping malls put together. You cannot find your way around. Now, if you think about you know, these state-owned entities that, say, that, that claim to not uh, have funds to, to continue business, how is it that there's so much of funding deployed into other areas? And if you look at telecom itself, and if you have to work out the, gen- the, the revenue generation over any uh, fiscal period, there is more than sufficient funding in there that they take and deploy into ESCOM. And it's strange that, you know, telecom never, ever comes up uh, in the discussions of these state owned entities. Hmm. Interesting point, Sinesh. Thanks for that. We'll dissect it with our analyst. Good food for thought there. Louis Pillay from Centurion. Hello, Mr. Pillay. Okay, good afternoon to you, good afternoon to the listeners. I think just to follow up from the last speaker, I think Pravin Gordon, you know, he spoke about him, that's his point of view. But Pravin Gordon is not selfish. Let me tell you up front because I work with him. Thank you. And then regarding your topic, I think, you know, firstly, people should realize that when power goes off for two hours, three hours, what is happening to the deep freeze and fridge? In the deep freeze, the water settles down in the bottom. And then after the day, you get a funny smell. Then the power goes off for the next four hours. There's more water accumulates in the bottom. So what is actually happening to your meat and chicken at the base of your fridge, deep freezer, is it's going to go bad. So people need to clean the refrigerator and deep freezers nearly every month now. I think going, uh, going back to the second part of your question regarding uh, theft and 
Hi, Mr. Pillay. Okay, I think we lost Mr. Pillay there, Mr. Louis Pillay. I think you can call us back. We'll take your we'll, we'll take your uh, point back in a second. Let's go to Sonia on the line. Hello, Sonia. Hello. How are you? Well, thanks. Well, speaking of load shedding, I'm calling you from the Phoenix area, and this happens in our area. As soon as our lights go off, there are guys that are whistling to one another to say, well, now we can start our robbery. How many houses are being broken into? And yes, like Louis Place said about the fridges, yes, we also have a problem whereby every second day, I mean, if a person doesn't pay their bills, what happens? Their lights are cut off. Going to that, why must we still suffer when people are stealing in, in the big margin? And uh, yet the people that the ratepayers are suffering, and especially us, the single people, the senior citizens, we get a government grant. So we are throwing away like two, three parcels of meat in two weeks, and which is not called for. We need a better government, and I don't know, but like I also think this country is crashing down. We'll leave it there with you, Sonia. Thanks for that, for sharing us with your concern. I think there you go, here, putting a face to it. You know, um, senior citizens there who um, have to make ends meet and they, they, they're battling, you know. They, they're really um, not doing well with regard to trying to um, handle the pressures of, of a load shedding Um segment. Well, when we come back now, we're going to go to some of our experts. They're going to be talking to us about some really important issues. One is more the global aspect as to what's going wrong at Eskom and how to sort it out. And the other is a more tangible way for you to help and understand, um, I think, your load shedding schedule, how to uh, prepare for load shedding and really what to do specifically within the Itaquini region. Please stay tuned. Darkness hangs over the country as the situation at ESCOM remains a nightmare. Over 400 billion rand in debt and poor mismanagement means load shedding is your current status. So what do you do to handle the power crisis? Give your views a voice on Newsbreak Talk this Sunday at 1 o'clock when we try and keep you out of the dark about load shedding. Just after half past one on Newsbreak Talk with Meet Aresh, we are going to go to a panel of experts now before we go back to the phone lines and take your viewpoints and, and listen to what you have to say. I'm happy to be joined in studio today by uh, Dina Govinder. He's from the Itaquini Municipality Electricity Department. Dina, thanks for your time. Good afternoon, Teresh, and uh, good afternoon to all your, your listeners as well. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us about this important issue. And then joining me um, over the phone today, we've got Ded Blom, and he's an energy analyst spending a lot of time in the energy sector and also trying to understand and analyze um, the current situation here at ESCOM. Mr. Blom, thanks for your time. Good afternoon. Mr. Blom, I want to start off with you, right? And, um, you know, I want, to, I want to put you put to you the most, I think, basic question. Um, you know, it doesn't require too much of analysis or critical thinking to ask this question. And that is, you know, briefly and very basically, could you tell us what has led to South Africa 
having to come to this point where load shedding is at its stage three to four level, so sustained, and the power utility now in over 400 billion rand worth of debt? Okay, um, so it's actually quite simple. I mean, it's just gross mismanagement by ESCOM over the last 10 years. Um, so the capture didn't take place uh, just in the last three years that uh, everybody was raving about the Gupta era. Uh, the capture at Eskom actually started around about 2006-2007 when uh, they, they were orders for four new power stations, of which three were eventually commissioned or partly commissioned. And uh, the, the ruling party then came into the poll and started uh, taking over control of Eskom projects. And that now brings the country to to load shedding and, and taking that into account and what you identified there, you know, that mismanagement, of course, the the handling and um, I think, what, what's it, lack of, let's just say, lack of maintenance, proper maintenance there with those power plants, it, it, it filters down into load shedding. Could you help us understand technically in terms of, you know, what that kind of mismanagement, that lack of um, handling, you know, manifests in load shedding? Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown, I, I, if you give me a minute. Okay, so first in terms of the new capital projects, um, there was gross mismanagement and corruption with the allocation of the contracts from Wajupi, Kusili, and Ingula. And that led to the current cost overruns of hundreds of billions of rands. Uh, between Mudupi and, and Kusili, the overrun and, and corruption amounts to over 200 billion rand. Uh, Ingula is 30 billion rand. That sort of stole all the money out of Eskom's purse. It was Please wait. Your call has been placed on hold. Please wait. Hi, Mr. Blom. Please wait. Okay, I seem to have been placed on hold there by Mr. Ted Blom, and we're going to try and get him back because um, I was really enjoying enjoying the points that he was talking about there. But uh, yeah, we seem to be on hold there. But let's let's shift the conversation. Let's take it now through to Mr. Um, Dina Governor from Itakwini Municipality um, from the Electricity Department there. And I think what I wanted to you know discuss with you is load shedding is here. Right, it's here and South Africans have to deal with it. Um, and we spoke about ways to handle it, but I want to talk to you specifically about the um, reading and handling of the load shedding schedule. Now, explain to me the role Itakwini Electricity plays with regard to load shedding in terms of um, having to communicate when electricity supply is going to be cut off. Hearing the frustration of customers um, uh, from, the, from throughout the country, uh, we've heard what uh, Ted Blom was uh, actually mentioning about the national situation. So I want to actually focus on, on local situation and what we are required to do and why we are required to do it. Yes. Um, it, you know, um, without getting into the actual reasons why ESCOM is calling for load shedding, let Ted Blom cover that one. Yeah. Um, the, the fact is, if we do not go into load shedding, the entire grid can collapse, right? Yeah. And it'll take us days, if not weeks, to get up to speed again. So that will have a far huger uh, impact on the economy than, than our regular two-hour blocks. So the fact is, load shedding is an absolute necessity under these uh, crucial times, and we have to implement to prevent that national blackout. Yeah. I want to ask you this question, and it comes up a lot when you hear it on the road. And that's mm -hmm. where I do a lot of my research, you know, mm -hmm. to understand what South Africans are saying. And, and what they say is, I pay my municipal bill every month. Why is this happening to me? How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah. You see, it, it's not just a local problem; it's a national problem. 
right? And um, each municipality is required to shed about 10% of the load during stage one, uh, stage one and stage two, and 20% on stage three, and greater than 20% on stage four. Um, it's despite whether you pay your bill or not. The fact is, if we do not react to, to ESCOM's call for load shedding, we can go into a national shutdown, and the consequences are going to be severe, not only to the in- inconvenience factor, but to the, uh, to the economy in general. Yeah. Uh, we've seen that over the last 10 years. Whenever yeah. there's load shedding, you know, there's retrenchments, people have less uh, money to spend, and, and mm. it really kills the economy. Absolutely. So the fact is, we've got to respond to it. Yeah. Now, I want to ask yeah. you, how do you come up with the schedule? Okay. Um, the current schedule, uh, which was put uh, together last year sometime, um, is based on, on a national um, uh, guideline. Uh, it's an NRS 048 document, which is a license, uh, uh, which is a license condition that each county needs to abide by. Um, it needs to be fair. It needs to be equitable. Um, so what Durban has decided is to, to break it up into residential, largely residential, largely commercial, and largely industrial se- sectors. <clears throat> so during stage one, uh, your residential and commercial sectors will be shared every uh, once in two days. In stage two, they will be shared every day. And in stages three and four, the industrial um, uh, customers are scheduled in. I must emphasize that when I say largely residential and largely commercial, it means that the larger, uh, larger residential load in that sector, that's how we identify it. There could be some commercial people in there. There should, could be some uh, uh, industrial customers in that particular block. It's something that we can, simply cannot avoid because we're shutting down uh, during load shedding at, at a transformer level. Mm. Um, if you go to our website, it'll give you a very clear indication of, uh, of how the blocks are separated. And, and you will see, um, you know, uh, it's, it's a very colorful diagram. And, and the blocks are showed on the, on the, uh, on the first page uh, of the, uh, on the website. Right? And then followed up by the, the specific areas that, that, uh, that the blocks pertain to. And then you've got the, sh- the actual schedule itself. And you'll see very clearly on the schedule that during the uh, um, off-peak times, which we've rarely went into, if almost never went into load shedding, is because the demand in the country has been fairly low during that period, and there was no need to go into that. But starting off at 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, we have the commercial loads coming on, and you'll find that those blocks are largely commercial. And then in the peak periods where the residential load uh, takes on, that'll be largely uh, residential. So... We've done our best, and, and I think our focus and priority has been to try and protect our economy within Durban itself, um, uh, and, and I think the thinking has been right. In the last week, it's been a nightmare um, at back at the offices because of huge uh, amount of calls coming in. Industrial customers and commercial customers wanted the blocks to be changed to something that's more convenient for them. Yeah, um, it's, it's, an, it's actually very impossible to manage because we're shutting off huge swathes of areas at a, at a high level, at a transformer level. Uh, we cannot cater for individual needs. Yeah, you know, um, and I think, I mean, you know, you come to the point where you say, well, what are you going to do? It, it has to be, you know, the blocks need to be shut off. Um, but there are some questions that I want to ask now about, um, you know, I think there, there are a couple. One of them is, um, you know, a lack of understanding how these how the schedule is actually mm-hmm. working. And, and, you know, there's so many examples of that, but I mean, we at specifically, I think, within a Lotus FM context, we had a um, broadcast mm-hmm. in uh, a particular area this week, an outside broadcast, and the team had gone down to to the area to do their recce, and they weren't able to identify when they were going to be shed because one person is saying this, and another person is saying this, but at the same time, nothing is corresponding mm-hmm. to either what's on the grid yeah. there. So my question to you is, um, you know, is there compliance to what's being printed out and disseminated? There is absolute compliance. That I can give you the assurance of. But there are some complications as well. 
as I just mentioned, you know, when we when when you identify which block you are in, then that block will be shut off at a certain time and will be brought on at at, uh, at the time that it was supposed to be brought on. The problem is uh, where people are extended for longer than two hours is because of large waiting loads. That means people have got their appliances on, got the geysers on, have got the stoves on, and when the power goes off, it's not switched off. right? So when the power comes back on again, when we try to switch off from the municipal side, we find that there are large waiting loads on the system and, and the transformers trip on overload. Now, it's a similar sort of situation that happens in your DB. If you put your air conditioning on, your stove on, and your geyser on all at the same time, it's going to uh, trip at your DB. So it's a very similar sort of occurrence we have, right? and we have to wait for the load to settle or come down before we can actually try and switch on um, uh, you know, th- those areas. So are you then suggesting, um, and I think this is, the, 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 it almost seems different from, 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 from the point I was trying to raise, but what you're suggesting here is that when you shed, the power yes. goes off, yeah. Uh, the responsible thing to do would be is to take off all your plugs, just take it off, even if you don't have surge plugs. Yeah. Maybe it'll be better to switch off at the DB level because you've got no power anyway, all right? And that will ensure, you know, just drop your main switch. And at the end of the two hours, you know, um, start switching them on again. Um, that will help us greatly to be able to s- stick clearly to the uh, Okay, so your here. advice then is that when you are shed, switch your main off and then... Yeah, it yeah. will also protect um, your your appliances from uh, overvolt, uh, uh, you know, voltage, uh, high voltages when we turn the power on again. Um, this normally happens, and and it's part of uh, you know that's why we ad- advise customers to use surge arresters, you know, to prevent any uh, spikes coming back on the equipment. So yeah, it'll save basically be an additional measure to protect your equipment as well as help us bring on the power at exactly the right time. Yeah. I want to come back to this, uh, Dina Governor here, of course, from Itekweni uh, Municipality Electricity, but we also have on the line Ted Blom, energy analyst here. I wonder if he's still on the line, if we manage to sort that out, Mr. Blom? Okay, we've lost Mr. Blom again. We're going to try and get him uh, back on the line. In the meantime, um, you can just... Um, you know, WhatsApp me as well. I want to go through some of the WhatsApps that we have here today. Uh, and yes, let's go to some of them now. Um, why is the municipality failing to tackle the power stealing from in shack settlements? This is contributing to load shedding as well as power failure in the surrounding areas. We'll touch on that, Anonymous. Thank you for that. Um, and we've got, here's an interesting suggestion, and I wonder what your thoughts as a South African uh, people would be about this. Pretty interesting, Ayla. Thank you for that. Shut off all power between 10 and 3 a.m. every night. This will save power and no inconvenience to people, the business economy. So I think what Ayla is suggesting, um, shed stock standard 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. That would be an interesting one across the nation, across the country. I uh, wonder what the um, implications you know, would be of with regard to that. Uh, another text coming through this afternoon from Anonymous, I think. Instead of moaning that you don't have electricity for three hours, rather be thankful you don't have to live without water for three to four days at a time every month, sometimes every three weeks. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, be grateful for what you have. I think the message coming there. Viren Rajdeo from Harinagar. Uh, there's a video doing the rounds in which the narrator dissects the relationship between current president, Minister Khadebe, Patrice Mutsepe, and now the president. Three-pronged unbundling would ultimately financially benefit these three individuals as they have financial interest in the companies that will be involved in this unbundling of ESCOM. Comment on this. Thank you for that. We'll put that through to Mr. Blom. Okay, so there's, those are a lot of these suggestions coming through. Um, 
Let's go to Mr. Blom. Now, hopefully we've got you on the line, Mr. Blom. Hi, good day to you. Yes, wonderful. Thanks so much for that. So, yes, we've been, you know, talking about what led to the situation. And I think it's it's, it's really well documented. I mean, I've done so many shows on, on this so, over the years. Um, that was just to help an introduction to put us into perspective. But now I think the current suggestion, split up ESCOM and your thoughts on that. Okay, so, um, I mean, it's very controversial, but the fact of the matter is the breaking up of ESCOM alone, as suggested by government, is not going to result in an inflow of cash, and it's not going to result in the improvement of the operational capacity of the organization. Uh, ESCOM has been run as, as, with autonomous divisions for more than 30 years, and that goes back to when I first worked in the late 80s. So I think uh, the current suggestion is cosmetic, uh, the problem is that it seems to me that the government and the Department of uh, Public Enterprises don't have a clue as to what's going on or what's wrong or what's right with ESCOM. And that is because they don't have benchmarks. They don't have anybody in their departments who can say to the listeners, this is what the benchmark used to be, and that worked, and that made ESCOM one of the top five utilities in the world, and this is where we are now, and that's what we are, how far we have deviated over the last 25 years. So if we sort out the deviation, we should get back to the ideal situation where Eskom is the cheapest utility in the world and has a very reliable power. That's, that's the sort of uh, problem that you've got at the moment. So just to, just to quickly recap, I mean, uh, we talked about that the operational budgets were abandoned in 2010 with the Soccer World Cup. It, it took to 2014 for them to go revisit the uh, backlog of the maintenance, and even then it was only done at 25%. So at the moment, we've got more than six years of backlog of maintenance, and we don't have the budget because the money has been stolen. On top of that, we've also messed up on the coal account. Uh, Eskom, I did a report for them in 2006, 2007, which indicated they needed to uh, procure 100 million tons of coal, new coal mines, uh, in, uh, uh, by 2015. Eskom uh, went public and said they'll open up 40 new coal mines. Uh, they did that in 2009 as a consequence of my report. And uh, it's now 10 years later and no coal mines have been opened. So Absolutely. The, yeah. reason, the reason they're failing on the old fleet is because they're feeding the low specification the rock and, and the rubbish into, into the boilers. And that's what's causing the trip-outs and the loss of power on that side. As far as Madupi and Kusili is concerned, I indicated to you before, I think we got cut off, that the availability is below 60% and below 20%. So it's really a calamity in that all these things have continued at the same time. And, and really, it boils down to corruption, 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 yeah. and inept in, in, and inexperienced management, and a totally novice board who didn't have, don't even have a clue what planet they are, never mind what industry and what company yeah. they manage. Mr. Blom, I want to ask you, though, I mean, um, and, and I'm sure you've, you've got an answer for this prepared, but Madupi and Kusile, for example, no chance of, of, of upgrading it, of fixing it, of building it and making it, you know, up to level of capacity for South Africa's energy demands. Well, the news is actually even worse than that, and uh, it's the first time that I'm actually mentioning this because I've had to verify it. So the, the problem in the boilers, and uh, is it came about because the boiler supplier was Alstom. They won the tender, uh, and the, the turbines was won by Atashi. But because the boiler contract was bigger, and the Chancellor House was partnered with Atashi, Eskom then said, well, the, the government or the ruling party wants a bigger slice of the pie. And they actually swapped the two tenders around. I mean, how stupid can you be that you take the boiler specialist and you give the tender for the advisor? So you have an inadequate, an inexperienced, and a non-reputable uh, boiler supply building the boiler, 
At the end, they couldn't even do the control unit. So they went back to Alstom and said, can you please do the control unit for us? It's like asking BMW to do a control unit for a Mercedes-Benz car. I mean, it's, it's corruption at its worst. And the same thing happened at Kusili. Yeah. Because Kusili didn't try out to tender. Uh, they, uh, they developed a fleet strategy all of a sudden at Edson, and all they did is they photocopied the supplier, the, the, the main con- contract. Right. You know, Mr. Dipping. Blom... You you said you know the reason is corruption, 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 right? And that's 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 a major quote coming there. Um, a text we got from Viren Raj there who WhatsApped us, and he said the you know the bundling and the splitting up of um, the unbundling of and splitting up of ESCOM would suit the interests of some top level government officials. Your thoughts on that? Well, I've also seen that WhatsApp. In fact, because I'm on a wide circulation, that thing come to me about a hundred times. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the government hasn't given the rationale behind the uh, unbundling of ESCOM. They've just mentioned that that's the decision that they came, came to, uh, but they haven't uh, supplied the documentation, the reports, the research, or anything like that. So, uh, And the moment you've got inadequate in, uh, information, uh, that's in the time when rumors and things start. Uh, uh, so the government yeah. deserves these accusations because they haven't communicated properly, not with you, not with me, and nor with the unions. We are really angry at the way this whole thing is doing. So anything is yeah. possible. Yeah. It could be possible that there's this corruption, that the, the SM, parts of ESCOM are going to be hived off to family members of the, of the president. Uh, call a spade a spade. I mean, it's, uh, you know about the WhatsApp. I know about the WhatsApp. I'm sure everybody else has got the WhatsApp. It's now for the government and Mr. Ramaphosa to come and give us the research and say, listen here, this isn't just a rumor or whatever. He has the research and this justifies the decision that I've made. Yeah. Yeah, short of that, then they must face the accusations. Absolutely. I think, though, Mr. Blom, the, the word coming through from, I think, at the uh, SONA level from uh, President Maposa, more details expected on Wednesday. So we eagerly await to hear from Minister Tito Mboweni what's his, you know, actual pronouncements on, on handling of this crisis. But we're going to go to the phone lines. I think our last batch of callers now before we wrap up the conversation with Mr. Ted Blom and Mr. Dina Gavinder from Itakweni Electricity. Let's go to Mr. Pillay, who's back on the line. Sorry you got cut off earlier, Mr. Pillay. Yeah. Yeah, sorry mm. about that as well. Yeah. I think uh, just to round up your one or two calls that you had regarding the cut-up of power, I think if you cut up the street lights from 10 to about 4 in the morning, I think you'll say, but I took it up with the department. They said the usage of power is more during the day in their peak hours. Going back to your question of crime and hijacking and robbery at night, I think the neighbors must now go on to a group a neighborhood watch group, and that would prevent some of the crime. I yeah. think if you follow the group, I think you, you will succeed. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. We appreciate it. Sheila on the line. Hello, Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Okay, seem to have lost Sheila there. Yeah, we're waiting to hear from Sheila. But yes, we are, you know, discussing the situation at Eskom and uh, we are going to, I think, wrap up the conversation right now and end it um, just now and talk about, you know, how to best han- handle the uh, schedule and how to report false even from an Itagwini perspective. Um, and we'll just uh, give you a bit more of an understanding as to how best to understand it within its global context. Sheila is back on the line. Hello, Sheila. Yes, I just want to say there's 420 billion, um, you know, irregular expenditure, and that, of course, is the major part that went towards building the new two power 
frustrations that uh, are not functioning properly, and that is a major problem besides the looting. I mean, what a vice, uh, the Chancellor House owns 25% on the Madupi power station, and obviously there's been a lot of corruption and billions have been going into somebody's pocket, and Praveen Garden himself stated that people will end up with orange um, uh, robes, you know, but... The thing is, they keep saying these things, but no corrupter is actually going to jail, and we are still waiting for that. Who are these corruptors? When are they going to go to jail? And who's going to pay the billions of francs? Are the people, are the citizens who are already suffering, are they going to pay? And as it stands, every time they load shed, it affects all the municipalities because the transformers go up, because they're not properly maintained, and then again, millions are being lost on the ground, and not only from the retailers, but also from the municipalities. They are losing millions because they have to replace the transformers that blow up. So it costs them millions of francs. And this corruption has ruined this country. It's ruined this country. And we cannot afford to maintain ESCOM because we can't take three-quarters of the public budget that goes for running the country and put it into ESCOM now. Because are we going to do that? No. They've got to find a proper solution. And furthermore, we've got problems from the unions. The unions refuse this ESCOM to be privatized. How do they expect the country to function? We have to look at a solution and not worry about individual organizations who are against or worrying about who gets the job and who doesn't get the job. And the biggest problem is affirmative action, lack of proper engineers, lack of proper uh, people at the top, but they're collecting big fat salaries. So at the end of it, this whole thing is about corruption and not uh, no proper administration. Sheila, we appreciate your call today. Thank you so much for that. Time to wrap it up now, the conversation, and I'm going to be uh, starting with Dina Governor from Itakwini Municipality Electricity. Uh, you know, back to the more uh, operational logistic issues there. Um, you know, if you don't, if, if, if you're battling to read and find out where you fall on the grid, you know, um, to you it may seem that you're a number four, but you could actually be a number 21, you know, um, how to go about tangibly ascertaining that. Yeah, and thanks, Naresh. <clears throat> As I said, you know, the information on load shedding is, is pretty clear and concise on the uh, on our web, our web page, www.durban.gov.za. Um you know, one of the best ways in order to confirm that what your what your block is and is to actually observe what time your power goes off and what time it comes on, and that will give you confirmation as to the block that you're in. Yeah. So once you know the first time, then the the likelihood of you being uh, available on the block for a for a long time is you know is, is yeah. Is you know what's coming through very strongly, and we just literally got a WhatsApp to that right now. Yeah. On Sunday, my road fell under clear state for load shedding. Monday, my road fell under Reservoir Hill. So it's pure confusion. And that's been happening a lot. Okay. Teresh, that, that's very, uh, very likely. Well, I won't say very likely, but that, that does occur because what happens, you must remember, that our business is managing a network in, in real time. So you will have faults which occur 24 hours a day, right? And in order to keep you on, and sometimes the customer doesn't even know that, right, we have to feed you from different supplies, from different substations, right? So this is a real real-time business where we are sitting 24, 365 days a year and we're controlling the load through the network. If there's a fault or an overload on one side, we're feeding you from another substation. Now, this 
this is what causes load shedding blocks to change, right? And and we we endeavor to actually put you back onto the blockers, you know, in a day's time or so when the when the fault is cleared and the, uh, and there's no longer a fault, right? And you, then you'll return to your normal block. Sounds like a double inconvenience. Um, it is. Uh, we'll be trying, you know, we we trying our best in order to manage this entire thing. And, and remember, as I said, our normal business is operating this grid 24 hours a day. And load shedding, this comes in and puts another complication on top of that. And we're trying to manage that as well. So the pressure and, and, and the pressure on our staff is, is uh, phenomenal. And, you know, the other thing that we've seen uh, in the last week, the number of faults goes, off, uh, go, goes up phenomenally as well. Uh, our equipment is not designed. Electrical equipment is not designed to be shut off and on on a regular basis. So that causes additional faults and adds to the load. So um, there's another point I want to ask very quickly, but you know, pertaining to that, so what you're saying is it's, it, it's, it's becoming logistically challenging now to keep everybody on the same uh, block and same grid. Should you, you know, have that situation where you don't know, you know whether you're falling under the clear state grid or the Reservoir Hills grid, what do you do then? How do you get the correct information as to what's happening on the day? See, you know, um, as I said, the best thing is to go on the last time that you were shared. That, and assume that's the block that you're going to be on. Right? There is inconvenience. Right? As I said, the uh, grid was not designed to, be, uh, to go into load shedding. Right? Assume that, and, 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 you know, and that's most likely the, the, the block that you will be shed on. See, it's something that we can't avoid, unfortunately. Um, the other point is that if you are... Electricity doesn't come on, or maybe, like you said, because of the surge, it, you know, it trips. It, you know, it, it, it trips because of the surge coming through. Um, you know, what is... How... Do you um, report this fault effectively? Because you need to understand, and I know um, you know there's manpower issue and there's staffing, logistic issue, etc. But you need to understand you've got people who've been without electricity for two hours. So surely some sort of uh, urgency is needed from the from the side of the municipality. The other real-time uh, problem that we have um, is when when we go into load shedding, the number of calls on our uh, call center is exponential. Right. So what we advise people to start complaining electronically. If your power doesn't come on after two hours, two and a half hours, you know, try and use the electronic uh, uh, um, um, electronic means either via our email, our SMS number 30909, or even better still, go into our, uh, onto our website and there's an application there where you can report your, your, your faults on, your mm. meter readings as well as your streetlight faults. Well, Mr. Blom, I think a final shot from you, and this is a big question, I don't know how you're going to answer it. Uh, what do you think is a suggestion to help ESCOM ensure that there's no more load shedding? Okay, I'll try and answer that, but there's two pointers. Firstly, the municipalities have notoriously managed the situation badly. You and I all get accounts. They can tell us on our accounts which block of load shedding we fall into. You have to read your account to pay it every month, so it's a document that's publicly available to individuals. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we're going to have load shedding for at least the next five years because Eskom hasn't invested in coal mines. So the municipalities and everybody needs to upgrade the system to be able to cope with load shedding. As far as helping Eskom, the best thing is to put pressure onto Eskom because they haven't, uh, until they're uncorrupted, they remain corrupted. They haven't done a thing to sort out the corrupt agreements on the coal supply agreement. They haven't done a thing to sort out the overhead, uh, overhead uh, management costs. They've still got 35,000 people, too many. They've known for more than a year, and they still haven't done anything to sort out the operational budget. So, I mean, the, the maintenance is still behind. The money that's being spent on maintenance is being blown because costs are overinflated and kickbacks are still happening on a weekly basis. I'm a, I've got whistleblowers phoning me on a weekly basis and giving me examples of ongoing corruption at the system. You can't expect three people at the top 
to stop corruption has gained all the way to over 400 sites to grassroots level. If Eskimo is serious about sorting out corruption, they better get the act together, because otherwise I'm going to call the public to take action. Well, we thank you so much, gentlemen, for the points there that you've raised. I mean, uh, it's just, you know, try to put it into perspective and also try and provide some suggestions there. We'll have to leave the conversation. Hopefully some sort of information could have been disseminated through to you on how best to handle um, load shedding. We are going to try and leave you with some numbers to ensure that you could stay in touch and, uh, you know, effectively understand a lot of your problems you've raised. And we haven't really got to each through each and every one of it. So I'll try and get you a number that we could constantly um, leave for your reference. The broadcast, it came your way courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. From me, Tadeesh, hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.